Happy New Year. Welcome to Leadership Reflections, a collection of leadership podcasts by me, Barry Dorr. Today we return to our exploration of leadership through the eyes of Mary as we examine more of the Lead Like Mary book. And we take our first venture into the middle circle of inside out leadership as we look at Mary's fifth trait as she gets the right people on the bus. You'll remember that the first four traits that we examined at previous podcasts, they're in her inner circle of inside-out leadership, because they are character traits. They're about what Mary is. They define her as a leader. We looked at the fact that she believes her first role as a leader is to serve others, that she's personally highly effective, that she's values-led and courageous, and that she's trusting and trustworthy, and through that builds long-term, highly effective relationships. The fifth to tenth traits take us into the middle circle of inside-out leadership. This is now what Mary does with the people around her, particularly perhaps with the team who work for her, but not exclusively. It could be anybody else she comes into contact with. Because remember, Marys can exist in any role in an organisation at any level, or indeed in any role outside organisations, including in simply within a family. This point about right people on the bus, getting the right people on the bus, is just so important. I honestly think it's probably the most important thing that any leader who leads a team does, making sure they have the right people on their bus. Because if they've got the right people on the bus, those people can achieve quite amazing results. Whenever I'm asked to give advice to people and meet to coach people or to mentor them, time and time again issues come up about people. It's the consistent theme. happens on training courses I run as well just seems to worry people so much are they doing the right thing are they taking the right decision because this stuff is never easy and the other thing is it never stops we never stop our efforts to get the right people on the bus the bus analogy is everywhere now i use it all the time i actually got it originally from jim collins from his good to great book it just seems to work so well whenever i work with any organization or team we talk about right people on the bus the language is simple and the language sticks if you had a look at the Lead Like Mary book and had a look at page 98, you'd see my fairly pathetic example of a bus. It's there, it's a drawing, it's a, it's a cartoon, you can see it. Have a look at that. Or just imagine the bus for yourself, just to maybe even draw one down on a piece of paper in front of you. And put a load of people on all the seats on the bus. Some at the front, some at the middle, some towards the back, because... What I now need you to do is imagine when you look at that bus and look at those faces, this is your team or maybe your organisation, depending on how many people you've got working for you or how many people you can basically cope without thinking about. And I reckon there'll be people in all seats on the bus in your team and in your organisation. And the various seats bring different challenges. Right at the front of the bus, those are the people who are absolutely on the journey with you. I actually really hope you're in the driver's seat taking the bus forward towards its goal, its vision, its destination. And at the front of the bus, you're surrounded by people who are saying, let's go, we want to be part of this bus. We want to be part of this journey. They're positive in the behaviours. 
they're effective in the results that they're delivering. In fact, some of them are so good, they're saying, move aside, boss, I could drive. Take a break, do some navigating, or just take a backwards side step for a minute, because I can drive this bus for you. They're the people we really want. It's inevitable, I reckon, we'll have some people in the middle of the bus. These are people who maybe could be doing better in terms of performance. They're not bad. They're okay. Could be doing better in terms of behaviour maybe. Maybe they have some off days. They're not bad. They're okay. But at worst they are coasting. Seats, feet on the seat in front and just looking out the window. They're just along as passengers for the ride. We just need to find ways we can encourage, develop, coerce those people to move forward on the bus towards the seats towards the front. And it is inevitable on any, in any team or organisation, you're going to have people towards the back of the bus. It just happens. These are people who, for whatever reason, are simply not performing in the role. They're not delivering results for you. They're underperforming. Or they might be behaving really badly. Or it could even be a combination of both. If you want to build something sustainably great, if you want to deliver consistently great results, ultimately... You can't have people at the back of the bus. Somehow or other, they need to move. Ideally, they'll move forward towards the middle and beyond. In certain cases, though, they do need to leave the bus, and that's one of the toughest things you can ever do, I would suggest to you as a leader, as a manager of people. But you cannot build something sustainably great, and this is a key message of today, while you've got people at the back of your bus. And here's a problem. Those people in the middle of the bus, as much as you're saying to them, hey... Come forward, come forward, it's great at the front, come and help us drive. People at the back are going, nah, you want to be back here with us. Come and throw some stuff out the window, come and have some fun. It's great at the back of the bus. So there's a constant battle for the hearts and minds of people in the middle, and it's just a crucial battle. The other problem, I guess, is that at the absolute worst, you'll have some people at the back of the bus who are terrorists, assassins. They are throwing stuff out the window of the bus, trying to puncture the tyres, trying to knock it off course. They're really dangerous to you. But they're not the only people at the back of the bus. There's some underperformers there as well, and they just need to be dealt with. And we'll have a look at that. I've mentioned behaviours a few times now. Because traditionally we've looked at where people would sit on the bus on the basis of how well they're doing in their job. Are they delivering the right result? Are they delivering results for you? Are they getting you what, delivering what you want? Are they delivering the right results? Increasingly, though, organisations are recognising that's not enough. It's not only about somebody's performance in the role. It's how they're behaving as well. Not only are they delivering results for you, are they delivering those results in the right way? It's about not only capability and performance, but behaviours and attitude as well. And that is an absolutely crucial breakthrough. It's really difficult to know how we can measure how somebody is, where somebody is on the bus. I mean, you kind of know intuitively, but could we put a little bit more structure around it? I'd like you to have a look at page 102 of Lead Like Mary. And if you haven't seen it already or haven't heard from me already on this at a programme or whatever, I'd like to introduce you to the capability and behaviour matrix, or capability and attitude matrix. As I say, you'll find it on 102. It's very, very simple, as all these models are. Two axes to the graph, to the model, to the matrix. Left-hand axis, going up the uh, vertical axis, is somebody's capability, their performance in the current role, and the results they're delivering for you. This is not about their potential or about some future role. 
This is what they're doing in their current role. How well are they doing? Are they delivering for you in terms of their performance? And you can mark your people on the um, matrix on the left-hand axis to start with based on their performance in the current role. As long as it's a really hard, tough measure. Nine and ten, right at the top, will be somebody who is just performing excellently, superbly. They are great performers. This is not a soft measure. This is a really hard measure. If you're going to score a nine or ten, you are delivering consistently great results. Seven and eight, you're delivering good results. Nothing wrong with them. The results are being delivered on a regular basis. You could probably could stretch and do a little bit more, but your people could probably stretch and do a little bit more, but they are good results. Five, six, they are average, frankly. They could be doing better. And once we get down to fours, threes, twos, and ones, they're underperforming. And obviously at ones and twos and zeros, we've got serious performance issues. The horizontal axis is how somebody is behaving. Nine, again, it's the same tough measure. Nine and ten, there will be exemplars of great behaviour. Frankly, there will be role models across the organisation as a whole. You know the people. I hope you do. Positive, always wanting to contribute, coming up with new ideas, spreading really positive energy around them. Great people. It would be very hard to get a nine or ten. Seven and eight, these are good on behaviours. Very rarely have a bad day. There may not be a positive influence across the whole organisation, but they certainly are within their teams. Really positive people. They're the people who you score at seven and eight. Again, they could be better, a little bit better. They could be better at demonstrating the right behaviours everywhere, but they are good. Fives and sixes, they'll have some bad days. And once you get down below five, four, threes, twos and ones, you know that you've got some more significant behavioural issues, particularly when you get down towards the bottom, towards your noughts and ones. That is where it becomes really serious. Now, it's inevitable that you're, it's, we need to think about this behaviours thing. Because actually, we've traditionally measured people on their performance, as we said before. And that should be easier, because people have typically set objectives or goals for the year. And you measure against that, they're given a task to do, and there's a measure whether they've done it. We could all do that better and be more assiduous. But generally, we're pretty good at that. It's all right saying you want to measure people on their behaviours. But what about if somebody doesn't know how they're expected to behave? And that's why I think it's established, it's essential the behaviours framework is established. We talked about a little bit about, about this in the values-led and courageous podcast. Because unless somebody knows how to behave, how can you expect them to behave in a certain way? But what great organisations have done, no, loads of organisations I work with, is to create a behavioural framework for their organisation. Typically it starts right at the top with the organisation's values, because behaviour should really reflect those values. But critically, this behaviours framework has not been imposed by senior management, by the board or whatever, by the senior team. It's been developed by people throughout the organisation. And where that works, it's really powerful. So you can actually create a limited number of behaviours, show what great behaviour would be like, good behaviour, average and unacceptable, poor and unacceptable, and then make sure that everybody understands that, they play part in producing it, and they buy into it. And where that exists, that can be a really powerful framework for taking you forward. What you can then do, of course, is to divide your, four your matrix into four quadrants. I've illustrated that on page 102. And each of those quadrants give you different challenges. 
top right-hand quadrant, they're the people who are above average, both in terms of performance and in terms of behaviours. So these are people towards the front of your bus, and that is great. Incidentally, if they're scoring sevens and eights, they're in the top right-hand quadrant, and it's good, but it's not yet great. And if you want to be sustainably great, you need to move your people on and not accept good being good enough, as per the first words of uh, Jim Collins' is good to great. Good is the enemy of the great. But you're in a pretty excellent place to be to start with if you've got most of your people in that quadrant, providing you have been honest in your assessment and been tough with your assessment. This is not an easy measure. But what's the problem with people in that quadrant? Well, the problem with people in that quadrant is it's too easy to forget about them. It's too easy just to believe they are absolutely no problem because they're doing fine. And anyway, we're focusing a disproportionate amount of time over people in, on people in the other quadrants. And that is a problem. Why? Because if you don't look after these people, you're in grave danger of losing them. These are good people. And good people are wanted by many organisations. And if you're not looking after them, if you're not developing them, if you're not nurturing them, it's so, so easy to lose them. So spend sufficient, all so much of what we do on these podcasts is about saying you need to spend time on things. And time is such an infinite resource we looked at it on the personally effective this podcast some weeks ago but you need to spend time with these people nurturing them developing them we'll talk more about that in a few minutes the bottom left hand quadrant should be fairly straightforward as well these are people who are underperforming on performance and results and underperforming on behaviors they are the people frankly at the back of the bus and they cannot remain there can we move them northeast can we improve them both on performance and on behaviors if we can't, ultimately they can't remain on the bus. More about that later. Bottom right-hand quadrant should be fairly straightforward as well. Behaviours are fine, above average anyway. But these are people who are simply not making it in terms of performance. Individual action plans. Ask the question time and time again. Why, why, why are they not performing? Is it they don't know what to do? Is it they're new to the role? Is it their role isn't clear? Frankly, hold up the mirror, because is it something to do with you, the boss? You know, whatever it is, really seek it out and say, what can I do about it? And put together an individual action plan. Hold them accountable for it, but hold yourself accountable for it being delivered as well. And give them the support they need. But ultimately, no matter how good their behaviours are, if not performing, they can't remain on the bus. But these are people you can really work out, particularly because their behaviours are so good. Huh. Top left-hand quadrant. This is the quadrant when I present it on a program that people just groan and roll their eyes. These are people who are above average in performance. They're okay, or better, but they are simply not behaving acceptably. And so, so often in organisations, to be honest, these are long-serving people. They have been around forever. You have a think about that, and when I do this on a program, people go, oh yeah, and they talk about Fred or whoever somebody has just been around so long and their behaviors just aren't acceptable and the problem is the language goes something like oh it's only fred he always behaves like that don't worry he retires in 12 years something like that but it's not and you know probably poor old fred has never been told there's a behavioral issue i bet if you go back over fred's previous appraisals you'll find he's been positively marked because of his performance each time with no reference to behaviours. And it can be really tough to start addressing these behavioural issues. But you need to. 
It's one of the main drags back for those people in that top right-hand quadrant. Why, they say in that top right-hand quadrant, is Fred allowed to get away with this? Why can he behave like that? It's not fair. Why is it not being dealt with by the boss? So be aware of the dangers of ignoring issues in this quadrant, but also be aware of the difficulty. And unless you have a behavioural framework in place, it's really very, very difficult. And you must provide evidence. But always remember, as I'll say later, the first conversation is almost always the hardest. Use the capability and behaviour or capability and attitude matrix with care. I like it initially as just a desk-based tool for you, but it could develop outwards. What about if you wanted to raise a performance issue or a behavioural issue with one of your team? Sit one-to-one -one with them with the model. And ask them where they think they fit on the model, where would they place themselves. And then tell, you, tell them where you think they are in terms of scores. What an amazing conversation opener. As I say, the first conversation is the hardest, but that could really get you started. Do it with your boss as well. Have the courage to say to your boss, where do you think I am, boss, on this matrix? And actually, this is where I think I am now. Let's have the discussion. Or, I have on many occasions now worked with uh, teams and organisations, senior teams, where the team as a whole has reviewed their next level down people using the matrix as a kind of exercise in a meeting. Not with those other people present, but by working out where they think the level below them in the organisation sit on the matrix. It's very powerful, particularly if you take everybody's views, not just the boss. And once people are there, you can say, where have we got our issues? Where are we going to focus our efforts? Who do we need to nurture? Who do we need to develop? But who do we need to challenge if they should still be on this bus if they can't improve? Very powerful. Use it with care, but very powerful. Let us have a look together at three areas of focus when it comes to getting the right people on the bus. Let's look at recruitment, retention and resolution. Recruitment, retention and resolution. Three key areas, all beginning with R. Recruitment, firstly. Every single one of us, in our experience as leaders, has made recruitment errors. We've recruited the wrong people. I certainly have done it on many occasions. And we know how really difficult it is when we do that, and how long it can take to resolve a poor recruitment decision. Recruit in haste, repent at leisure, as they say. So this is about how we can at least reduce the chances of poor recruitment. We cannot eradicate it. We can't eradicate poor recruitment. Of course not, we can't. We're human beings, for goodness sake. But we can take certain steps to ensure we minimise it or reduce the chances of it. Give us the best chances of recruiting right. And I think above all, recruitment has to be rigorous. Again, it takes time. So much of it comes back to time. But recruitment must be something that we do really, really rigorously take our time over it it starts when a vacancy occurs don't just simply advertise the same vacancy stop oh, soul search do we need this role and in fact is this the precise role we need doing is the person even doing the role they're originally hired for the person who's leaving let's really think out what is the vacancy we need to fill let's very carefully work out what the role is, what the purpose of the job is, what the main duties are, what the power of three is, referring to the material we'll be looking at a little bit later on in the future podcast. So review every single vacancy. And really think about your application process, but don't think about it from your perspective. Looking at it through the candidate's eyes. 
talking with an organisation recently who had been advertising a particular role and getting very few responses. Well, what was an attractive role? We'll track back why. It's quite simply, they had a really cumbersome online application form. And candidates who are increasingly using their phones to apply for roles just simply finding it too difficult to complete. So think of it from the candidate's eyes. Surely a CV could be acceptable instead with maybe some particular sections especially wanted to fill in with examples, etc. Do we need to have a cumbersome application form which frankly simply repeats a load of stuff which should be on a CV? Remember, this is important. You are selling yourself to the candidate as much as the candidate is going to sell themselves to you. If you want great candidates, and of course you want great people to join the bus, you are going to be in competition with a load of other organisations for that candidate. So think on, look at it from their perspective, and really remember, you are selling yourself and your organisation as much as they're selling themselves. Next tip, do not rely on interview alone as a recruitment method. By all means, use interviews as part of the recruitment method map some other stuff around it. Two problems happen with interviews if we just use them on their own. Either people are just excellent at answering questions in the right way, but actually they're not that good, they just know how to get through an interview. Or conversely, they're rubbish at interviews. They freeze in an interview process, but they may be very good people if we could draw them out of themselves in some other way. So don't rely on interview alone. Use other things. And of course, there is a myriad of things. Bring the candidates together to do a group exercise. Get them to do a presentation. Arrange for them to meet one-to-one -one with other people. The list is endless. But just do other. get them to do a practical test. Depend on the job. Whatever it is. By all means, have an interview as a, or two interviews. Or three folks. As a central part of the recruitment process. But do not rely on it alone. Do other things. And in the interview, focus on behaviours as much as you focus on their ability to do the job. How somebody behaves, remember, should at least be equally important. How somebody's going to behave, well, they fit into you culturally, should be as equally important as whether they're going to perform, be able to perform in the role. Of course you want people who can do the job, of course you do. But if you've got a couple of people and both of them could kind of do the job, we know both of them could do the job, just stop and really work out which one of them is going to have the best cultural fit. Use questions during the recruitment process. Use exercises which will demonstrate somebody's behaviour. Is there going to be a cultural fit? He's thinking about it, but it's absolutely crucial. So focus on behaviours. And involve other people in the interview process, or in the recruitment process, sorry. I love this bit. Um, use other colleagues who will be working with this person. Even get them to meet with a team who are going to be working for that new person who's coming in. Use your receptionist as well. What somebody says in an interview can be very different to how they then act and behave when they're out sitting in the, office, in the reception area with the receptionist. So all those people, take feedback from them. Make the application process, the, the whole recruitment process, as rigorous as possible. You're not going to be dictated to by what other people say. You're going to have that final recruitment decision with your main recruitment team, with the main recruitment people you're working with. But at least be informed by it, because you can get some really valuable information. And ultimately, when all's said and done, use your gut. Is this person the right person for this job? Do I think deep inside me they're really going to fit in? I might have evidence in front of me, but don't be afraid to use your gut as well. 
And to quote Jim Collins, if in doubt, don't recruit. If in doubt, don't recruit. You know the feeling, you've been interviewing people. There are a couple of people left who kind of could do all right. They're all right. And you just say, well, we'll take one of them because the vacancy needs filling and we've got the funding now and if we don't get the job done, we're going to be trouble. And you kind of recruit mediocrity. And if you recruit mediocrity, you will by and large get mediocre performance. So at that point, stop. If in doubt, don't recruit. Think about it. Is there still one area we haven't really covered? Should we bring them back for one more interview? It's going to take time. It's onerous. But boy, could it be worth it in the end to make that right recruitment decision. Quick word finally on recruitment on references. By all means, take them up. HR will want you to. I reckon they're pretty not much not worth the paper they're written on anymore. Just because of the regulations about what people can and can't say. Here's the thing which is a bit controversial and probably doesn't fit in particularly well with um, what HR think. My view is you will always know people in very small worlds who've worked with this person before in another organisation. People you trust. Contact them and just ask for an honest opinion from somebody you trust and you will get an honest opinion back. I think it's too important. And use probation periods seriously. Monitor during the probation period. Review. And if necessary, don't be scared to increase the probation period. And in exceptional circumstances, don't be afraid to terminate employment at the end of a recruitment process, uh, at the end of a probation period, if it's the right thing to do. There's a lot there on recruitment. It sounds daunting, it sounds onerous, but so it should be. I think it's just right up there with the most important thing we do as leaders. We cannot take your bus to somewhere amazing unless the right people are on it to be there on the journey with you. We've got to get that recruitment right. Second area is retention. How do you ensure you retain your good and great people? Those people in the top right-hand quadrant who are being sought by others. Again, we come back to time. It just takes time. What can we do to ensure we retain them? Do you know, it might just be about recognition. Is that person being praised? Are they really being looked after? It could be no more than that. It could be just about recognition. But it might be about some other things as well. Just, just might need some praise. Is it about career development? Are we really helping them to develop their career? Could we do more? Could we put in place a career development plan? Could we offer them more training? Could we offer them coaching and mentoring opportunities? And remember, there's a difference between the two. Mentoring provides expert advice. Coaching is about getting the candidates, getting the employees, sorry, to bring out the answers for themselves. Set them challenging assignments. Give them new things to really stretch them. Make sure they're capable of doing it, but push them, because people do need to push them. Empower them more and more. Send them out on secondments. Give them projects out with their brief. As Jim Collins says, and this is important, put your best people on your biggest opportunities. So where are the things, might not even be within their current brief, where are the things where they could really make a difference? Put your best people on your biggest opportunities, not your biggest problems. And just occasionally... When all said and done, is it right that somebody moves on for the best of reasons to develop their career, inside your organisation or even out with? I think very courageous leaders are willing to recognise that and occasionally let go of people. And time and time again, what goes round comes around. And finally, resolution. As Colin says, when you know you have a people issue, act. 
bottom left-hand quadrant, top left-hand quadrant, maybe if it's simply behaviour has been so bad. How can you move forward, people forward down the bus? Remember, this is really important. We don't want to just cast people off the bus, even though we agree we can't have people in that quadrant ultimately. Could we move them down the bus? Could we move them to the middle and even to the front, ultimately? Remember, every person is a unique individual. And the more we can get to know them as a unique individual, the more chance we've got of finding ways to develop them, motivate them, make them more effective, hold them more to account, etc. So if we can move people forward, that is just such an incredible thing to do. And there's some real success stories of where people have done that and achieved, people have gone on to achieve great things when they're previously at the back of the bus. But occasionally people need to leave the bus and that is up there with the hardest things we have to do as a leader, as a manager. I think there's some tips here. Be, ups, be fair, of course be fair, but be absolutely determined as well. Know what the right thing is to do. Be determined to do it, but then do it in the right way. Do it fairly. Use HR support. There is an incredible value to great HR people. People who keep you on the straight and narrow as a boss, but work with you to find out how, they, you, how to enable you to achieve what you want to achieve ultimately by giving you the right advice and the right support. Find those great HR people and work with them. Remember... The first conversation is always the hardest. So, so often when you've had that first conversation, it's very uncomfortable with somebody who's underperforming or not behaving right. But get over that first conversation, move on. And honestly, in almost every case, the second conversation onwards becomes easier as things start to drop home. That first conversation is the hardest, almost always because it's long overdue and has never been had. And remember, in a practical, pragmatic world, there are many ways to resolve issues. It's very rare when people actually have to be forced off the bus. When that message gets home, very, very often that person will look for a route off the bus themselves. And you know, quite often, people are just on the wrong bus. When they realise it, they'll agree, stop at the next bus stop, bus. Let me off, I'll go and get a new bus, one that's much more appropriate to me, and I'll enjoy the ride on that bus. And you know, those people may not say thank you to you at the point of leaving. But time and time again, you see them a little bit later, a year or two later, and they'll say, do you know, ex-boss, that was the right thing to do. Didn't feel it at the time, but it was. So, I think four messages for getting the right people on the bus and keeping them there and getting the wrong people off. Number one, be rigorous. Be absolutely rigorous in everything to do with leading and managing your people. Recruiting, retaining, resolving issues, be rigorous. Two, do the right thing in the right way. Do the right thing in the right way. Thirdly, always do the right thing in the right way. Thirdly, when you know you've got a people issue, act. When you know you've got a people issue, act. You cannot ignore them because they will not go away. And fourthly and finally, when in doubt, don't recruit. When in doubt, don't recruit, no matter how tough that is. So four messages. Be rigorous in everything to do with people management. Do the right thing always in the right way. When you know you've got a people issue, act. When in doubt, don't recruit. As I said at the beginning, I think getting the best out of your people and resolving people issues is one of the most difficult things you will ever do as a leader, as a manager. It also can be incredibly rewarding, not just for ultimately for the organisation when you get the right people on the bus, 
incredibly rewarding for them and actually incredibly rewarding for you as a leader and boss as well. So you know how much pride there is in leading a great team to deliver great results. This has been a podcast in the Leadership Reflections Collection. Podcasts on leadership from me, Barry Dorr. We'll continue our merry journey very soon. Until then, goodbye.